1: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlanski, joined as always by Nick Horwat. and the Penguins are still winless, and I gotta correct myself from last podcast, I said they were winless since the game against the Kings. They did win another one after that, a 6-3 victory over the Blue Jackets, but since then, uh, nothing for seven straight games for the Pittsburgh Penguins, the latest defeat coming to the hands of the Seattle Kraken, which means the Kraken have swept the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 2022-23 season series. A 3-2 loss in regulation. So, up before we get into the nitty-gritty of that game, uh, what were your overall thoughts, not getting too much into it? On what, Seattle? On the <clears throat> Seattle game, yeah. Man, just
0: uh, we got to learn how to hold on to a lead. Again, it looked like a, a game that we played pretty well. Um, the right... Players are making the right plays, except for the fact that that bottom six is shockingly bad right now. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something I'm sure we will talk about eventually. Just it's That's something that has to pull together. But the top six is not the issue. The stars are not the issue. Mm-hmm. The forward stars are not the issue. Whereas when you look at our bottom six and our top three defensemen, um, questions are being had all over the place. The leads need to be held on to... Uh, games need to be closed out and this this hurts seven games now uh they don't look at that overtime loss as especially the way it happened they don't look at that overtime loss to boston as anything uh to hang their hat on like i said because of the way it happened they blew that three goal lead um and it was a highlight of all of the things that have been going wrong for this team right now uh bottom six scoring drying up no effectiveness on either special teams unit and not getting the time we save. Mm-hmm. All of that kind of culminated during against Boston and now it's spread past Boston to you know, now losing to Seattle for the second time. This isn't getting easier. The teams are not going to get easier. The trek is not going to get easier because they're heading out on the road where they have not won yet, right? No, they've won they one won one game. They won the one game. Yeah. Man, that Columbus game, let me tell you. That the th- things were already turning downward in that Columbus game. Mhm. But I, we can get to that another point, too. But it's it's not good. They have one home game in their next seven. Yeah. Yes, in their next seven. Yeah. Uh, and they haven't won at home, or haven't won on the road yet. So now's the time to figure it out or ha- take on this threat of a
1: very not good historical st- uh, stretch. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that the Penguins seemingly outplayed the Seattle Kraken, and they did at five on five. Um, but at this point, whenever your losing streak reaches seven games, it doesn't really matter that you outplayed them. I mean, it, it's good. We'll talk about it because, you know, it is good to mention, especially at the end of this losing streak in the last three games, the Penguins have played much better than they did at the start of this losing streak. But at the end of the day, you've still lost seven straight games. Uh, So something needs to change for the Penguins. But they did outplay the Kraken at 5-on-5. They controlled 62% of the shot attempts at 5 and 5 They controlled 60% of the expected goals for. uh, And they outchanced them 29-20 to at 5-on-5 for scoring chances. So they played a much better game against Seattle uh, than they have throughout most of this losing streak. And then, of course, there's Sidney Crosby who does net his 900th assist. The, the long drought for Crosby assists is over. He gets the uh, the primary on that goal by Jake Gensel that initially tied it up, I should say, by Matty Beneers, basically. Uh, but Jake Gensel banks it off Matty Beneers, gives Sidney Crosby his 900th assist. Sid also had a goal earlier in the game. And then you just saw in that third period, he was trying everything to try to get the penguins off the schneid he danced through a defender in the third period and just missed while falling down if you're watching the video version on inside the penguins on youtube this is the video of it or the picture of it the still frame he's falling to the ice and he's still got a really good opportunity off Sidney crosby is not the problem here he had a two-point night as we mentioned but he needs help yeah yeah boy needs all the help he can get he He's as good as he is,
0: and is still keeping the Penguins in the in the games. Um, and we, you know, commend him all the time for being one of the best talents in the league. And <clears throat> will not let his team lose. That everyone else around him is letting him lose. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it looks. It's especially in that shift. I mean, mul- multiple seconds after that play happened, Jake Gensel had a very similar opportunity. Those two cannot be held accountable for any of this Mm -hmm. Um, if kenny malkin eh, you can there are some things you can hold accountable for him brian russ is going to play well no matter where he is whether it's on the first or second line raquel while his numbers are dipping is at least still shooting the puck he has the most shots on this team right now you can't say he's not giving his effort no matter where he is in the lineup um and jason zucker analytically looks like the best damn forward on this team so there is a lot of good happening with those with that top six um, that you can't place too much blame all around those guys. Crosby and Gensel specifically should be taking zero blame in these seven games.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Especially because Gensel didn't play in some of them. Yeah, Gen- that too. Gensel and Zucker both missed uh, a handful of those games, and I guess you can say the same thing for Jeff Carter and Deddy Bluger, who are also out and have missed a handful of those games. In, in the case of Bluger, he's missed all of them. Um, but no, with, with Sidney Crosby... You can't, you can't put it on him. He's performing really well all season long. Uh, he, he had maybe one or two bad games during the stretch. But again, considering the way the rest of the team around him has played, you can't pin it on Sidney Crosby. What you can pin partially on Sidney Crosby is the power play. And, and I want to talk about the special teams right here because the Pittsburgh Penguins, both units, are abysmal. And that's even coming off of a game where the penalty kill was 3-for-3. Three three. The penalty kill was perfect against the Seattle Kraken. But... They do give up that Yanni Gord goal to go down 2-1 to one directly after Sidney Crosby exits the box. And you notice that was an issue against the Buffalo Sabres as well. So even though that's only been a couple of games where that's happened, considering how bad the Penguins' penalty kill has been, even if they've killed it off and give up the goal in that first shift after, that's not good enough because the issue with the Penguins right now is momentum and the momentum when you kill a penalty should go back in your favor, but if you can't clear the puck from the zone after the time runs out of the box, then you really haven't continued to kill the penalty. I know it won't go against them officially, but I would consider that a goal given up by the penalty kill, because you weren't able to get the puck out, you weren't able to get the zone exit, to switch the lines, to force that change in momentum. So even though it was the third game all season in which they went perfect on the penalty kill, that goal to gore, to me goes, is a mark against uh, the penalty kill unit as well.
0: It is because you have to remain defensive. You have to maintain your momentum uh, until you're able to swing it into the opposite zone, until you're able to dump it out, whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets recorded as a minus because you're still on the ice. It doesn't really make too much of a difference for you. It's, sure you can look at it as a step forward on paper numbers wise sure and honestly we'll take anything we can get with mm-hmm. this penalty kill you know did it bump them up that one spot to get back to 28th in the league in the penalty kill no because the team in front of them was the seattle kraken and we didn't score on their penalty kill so mm-hmm. um that we remain down bad when it comes to that but well like i said we will take every little number we can get uh you still have to get the right numbers and that is keeping the puck out of the net. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting as well um because just to shift over to the other side of the, the of the special teams because neither side is working for the Pittsburgh Penguins as you mentioned uh, at the start of this this little segment here, but the power play goes over 3. Uh again, not able to get any any real production out of that power play unit. In, in the three power plays, they combined for five shots. Uh four of them came on one opportunity. Uh, and the one thing that really caught my attention, I believe it was either Bob Airy or Steve Mears that mentioned it on the on the telecast on Saturday night. Crystal Tang had his first shot while on the man advantage on Saturday. It was the 12th game of the season. That is such a big issue in so many different ways. I mean, I, I can put the Bernie Sanders meme up. I am once again asking them to fix their breakout, but I know they won't. Um, but as far as Letang not shooting the puck, this has been an issue that is not new. Uh, a lot of Penguins fans are going to l- listen to this and they're going to say, well, we already knew that, but I didn't think about the fact that that was his first shot on goal on the man advantage. What that essentially does every time Letang has the puck, why are you going to get in front of it? That's not a threat because he is so gun shy, apparently that he's not going to shoot the puck either that, or they're not setting up enough shooting lanes for him which is another failure on Todd Reardon and the entire unit as a whole. These guys are all veterans. These guys, for the most part, at least three of them have paid more than 15 seasons in the National Hockey League. That's an issue if your point guy in Chris Letang, who has a good shot, has only one shot in 12 games on the man advantage. That is, of course, a, just a small portion of the reason why that is an ineffective unit. But hearing that set me off whenever I, I watched it. I guess Sunday morning is when I initially watched the game.
0: And it should have. And it should have. Because then you go into practice the next day and, you know, some of the drills they're working on are forcing them to shoot the puck. They, were, they had them practicing without defense. Yeah. Rifle it, guys. They had them practicing without defenders. Like, they stuck those little decoy things in front of the goalies and said, just shoot the damn thing. There's nothing else you can do. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys can pass it. We get it. You guys can dish the puck. All three of you are playmakers. Jake Gensel's a goal scorer. Brian Rust is an everyman. They can all make plays. That's great. Shoot it. Please, do something. Shots on that. because like you said, five shots and three and uh, three opportunities. Hell, five shots and two. They didn't get a shot attempt in that first one, and both units saw the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just playing out straight up not good enough. And the penalty kills not as good either watching them watching those two just poor units practice against each other is just someone's got to win yeah most of the time honestly it is the penalty kills at least that's a bonus but um yeah man just please shoot it once in a while do something and when it comes to the breakouts and zone entries figure something out because that drop back
1: doesn't work mm-hmm. and just work on something new yeah yeah, they got to figure something out because if the power play and the penalty killer is bad as they are, then this losing streak might just be at its beginning. Uh, but one last thing I want to talk about before we move over to talk about the streak in its entirety and some of the historic contexts of this losing streak, which is not a sentence I wanted to say two weeks, three weeks, four weeks in its season. Uh, Sullivan's defensive plan was a topic of conversation on Saturday night because you know he didn't demote Brian Dumoulin, and I'm going to write a story about this, I promise. Uh, He didn't didn't demote Brian Dumoulin, but he did show that they're trying to protect his minutes. Now, that's not something that I would have uh, imagined. Again, this is Mike Sullivan. There's a reason he's getting paid to be the head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins for the next five seasons. He started with the original pairings in that game, but then midway through the first, you saw, okay, P.O. Joseph now playing with Letang. Dumlin gets demoted. Okay, maybe we thought it was because of the bad turnover that created a three-on-two opportunity for the for the Seattle crack, and Dumlin just gave the puck away in the offensive zone. I thought that's what it was. And then, second period starts. Brian Dumlin's back up on the top unit. Halfway through that period, Marcus Pedersen goes up there and plays with Chris Letang. And then Dumlin gets the full period with Letang in the third. So what you realize is Brian Dumlin finished with 19 minutes and 15 seconds of ice time. That is his first time under 20 minutes since the second game of the season. And the problem with that being in the first and second games of the season, the only other times Dumlin was under 20 minutes, there was six and four power plays for the Penguins respectively. That's why he was under 20 minutes. Not because he was getting sheltered minutes, but because they were on the power play so god dang much that he wasn't out on the ice. So in this instance, Penguins got three power play opportunities. Brian Dumoulin is getting sheltered on the ice for the first time this season. It's not the demotion that everybody was calling for, but I can see why they're doing this. And there's two reasons why. And it could be a combination of both. It could be one or the other or a combination. Either it's loyalty. Listen, Brian Dumoulin started playing really well and started being very effective once Mike Sullivan was made the head coach of the Penguins back in 2016. So maybe there's loyalty there. And maybe Chris Letang is stepping up to the bat for the guy that's been alongside him for the past half decade plus. There might be loyalty there, which I get because that's this team. But it also might be because Mike Sullivan doesn't want to burn that option. He doesn't want to burn the option of Brian Dumoulin on the first pairing this early in the season. Because what happens if P.O. Joseph or Marcus Pedersen go up there and they don't work out? What are you left with if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins? So I can understand why maybe you try to shelter his minutes in this creative way, which hats off to Sullivan. I wouldn't have thought to do it. But if it is for those reasons, and I think it might be a combination of both, for loyalty and for fear of, of what could be happening if they don't, that's not a good thing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, where does that leave you?
0: You don't want a carousel.
1: It's
0: not at all. <clears throat> that's exactly what it is. You, you sure you want to give, maybe you want to demote, Dumoulin down a line, put Pedersen up a line. That doesn't work out. Uh, okay, now we're now we're carouseling. Okay, P.O. Joseph's turn. Everyone else goes somewhere. Mm-hmm. You can't just keep taking turns. That's the other part of it. You don't want to keep filtering guys in and out. But at the same time, when you look around the league, sometimes there are inexperienced players on top units with veterans. I think back to, I forget who it was, but so, I forget the player specifically. Um, but I can remember... Drew Dowdy was playing with a rookie for a minute, I think, Hmm. in L.A. I forget who it was specifically, but he ended up staying there for a couple seasons. That's a veteran playing with a rookie. That doesn't normally happen on the first line. Now, I don't know how good or bad the team was that year. I don't really remember. I just kind of remember seeing Drew Dowdy's playing with that guy. That's interesting. But it's been working out. So sometimes you need that new sort of blood and that new face, that new style to go along with. Your veteran player like Chris Latang. Um, so I think the option would be to go P.O. Joseph and to and demote Doomland. But again, you're mentioning loyalty. You're totally right. And as a matter of fact, this is loyalty that stems back a few years, because you have to remember, uh, Jim Rutherford was the general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah. When we traded for him. Yeah. So even whenever Jim Rutherford came over, there was that extra sense of loyalty there for him. So this is loyalty that's been spanning a couple years and at many different levels of this team. Mm-hmm. On the ice, with Chris Tang as his wingmate, uh, behind the bench as Mike Sullivan as his guy, and then formally up top but could still be around up top, that little sense there in the general manager's booth with Jim Rutherford. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a matter of losing that loyal- loyalty. You know, These guys will preach all they want. Oh, it's a business. Act like it. I was saying it this summer. If you think it's a business, act like it. Let it be a business. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, whenever I was saying it over summer, it was if Latang and Maul can walk, let them walk because it's a business. You're gonna act like it. Well, guess what? They're still here, and now you're gonna act, You're gonna just keep saying it's a business. Act like it. Take Doom one off the first line. So it's what's best for business. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, I do understand the second part of, of what I said in that fear because if something happens where you do switch it and you say, all right, we're, we're burning that option. Brian Dumoulin on the top pairing doesn't work. And then Pio Joseph doesn't work. Then Marcus Pedersen doesn't work. Again, what are you left with? And I also understand your point and you don't want to be shuffling D lines and D pairings like this all the time mid game. Like you don't want to do that. But at the same time, if you can't get that first D pairing to perform better, what difference does it make? Because at that point, you're not going to win games anyway with Chris Letang playing the way that he has. And if that's because he's anchored by Doomlin and you're not quite ready to burn that bridge this early in the season, we're, we're less than 20% of the way through the season. So if you're not ready to burn that bridge and you want to do something like this, my only ask is you keep it consistent. And what you saw there was halfway through the first period, Doomlin was removed. POJ was up exactly halfway through the second period. Doomlin was removed. Pedersen was moved up, so that brunt of the load there was also shared. And then in the third period, it was Dumo Letang. Maybe that's to keep Dumoulin having his legs. Maybe that's to prioritize penalty kill time because of how bad that unit is. I don't know why they're doing it, but I don't hate the defensive plan as long as you can remain consistent in that deployment the way you did. It's not ideal, but again, if the Penguins' top unit is not performing, it doesn't make a difference regardless.
0: Yeah, no, you're totally right. Doesn't matter who's on it if it's not performing, it's not good. <clears throat> Got to do what is best for business, and I like the idea of it just remaining consistent. Play this position as a rover if you need to, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean by rover. I mean everyone's kind of switching in and out. Yeah, everyone's gonna get their spot. Everyone's gonna get their opportunity. It's uh, it's an interesting little coil that we have to worry about here.
1: Yeah, it's interesting also because. Uh, the more the games they lose in a row, the more we have to talk about after each win. It's unbelievable. Because um, we see what the issue is. It is it's it is
0: the Brian Dumoulin defense. It is the penalty-killing ability that is costing these games. You can yeah. pinpoint specifically where these games are getting blown, mm-hmm. where they are losing. It was um, in the Boston game. Once Marshand scored on the power play, that was it. All hell was breaking loose. Once... I, can't, I didn't see the Buffalo game, so I can't speak for that one too much. But I'm sure there was a point there where it was like, well, there it is. And in this Seattle game, I mean, what? When they tied it, maybe? When they, I mean, Obviously, when they took the lead, the legs were just swept out from under them. But I don't know. Something just felt weird. Mm-hmm. You can just pinpoint where these losses come from.
1: Well, the Penguins are now 1-2-1 all-time against the Seattle Kraken, not great against an expansion franchise. Uh, As you mentioned, Horwat, six of the next seven games will be on the road for the Pittsburgh Penguins leading up to the night before Thanksgiving when they return home against the Calgary Flames. 13 of the 41 road games at that point will be out of the way for the Penguins, so a lot of road trips early in the season, but also 13 of the first 19 games at that point will have all been on the road with four sets of back-to-back. So, not easy as far as the schedule is concerned to start this season. The Penguins will have to trek through it and try to end this losing streak because it has reached now seven games, which is the longest losing streak since the 2005-2006 season. And if you don't know what season that is, if it doesn't ring a bell, I'll bring up a picture for the video audience. Yeah, that would be Sidney Crosby's rookie year, which is also the last time the Pittsburgh Penguins missed the postseason. Evgeny Malkin and Crystal Letang had yet to play a single NHL game at this point, and let me just talk about that team very quickly, because not only was it the last time the Penguins won or lost seven games in a row, but they also had a nine-game losing streak to open up that season. They had two other six-game losing streaks that season. Of course, the seven-game one that we're talking about, and then a historic 10-game losing streak in January. The team won 22 wins that season. It wasn't good, but at least they got the draft Jordan Stahl second overall that next year. Uh, But that got me to thinking, what are some other really bad losing streaks for the Pittsburgh Penguins? 1982-83, they lost 11 in a row. 2003-2004, which was the uh, Dick Tarnstrom-Alexei Morozov team, that team lost 13 games in a row. And then since they're in the news and since we're talking about them, the 1929-30 Pittsburgh Pirates also lost 13 games in a row. So it has been worse in history for the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, but it's certainly getting to that point here with the talent that they have in Pittsburgh in 2022.
0: How did you not mention the literal NHL record? The the, the season before the lockout, the Penguins lost 18 in a row. Did they? Yeah, oh. because do you remember we were talking on this podcast because Buffalo was getting up there mm-hmm. and I said, I hope they win a game because I want the Penguins to still hold on to that record.
1: That is right. I did. I, I don't know why I missed that. Um, must you been,
0: all you had to do is go to Hockey Reference. You're look, You're already looking at the o five o six season. Hit. Go I was back one see, season. That's that's and my there it is.
1: That's my issue. I wasn't looking at Hockey Reference. I was looking at the NHL database. Um, and either I missed it or they don't have it up there. So I'll have to go check that out. But regardless, because I also just googled longest losing
0: streak in in NHL history. Total because I forgot we had it, and then that was the first thing that came up, and I went oh yeah, I remember all of this now.
1: Yeah, so Um, regardless, who gives a shit? At this point, the Penguins have lost seven in a row and they are much better with this team than they were with any of those other teams.
0: No, yeah, no, the skill is way better. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, and let's be real, that that 18 game losing streak came during a dark time. We all know this. Mm -hmm. We're not in a dark time. We might be slipping into one, but we're not in it yet. Um, and there's still a lot that can be had from this season um yeah this team is skilled it just has to figure it out like these this the games are getting better the the team eh, the, the top six looks good it's just a matter of and they're getting leads it's a matter of closing them out mm-hmm. and
1: finding wins so That's let's what they all keep saying so let's end it with this here you're talking about catalysts, of course. You've been big on that for the past week in our text conversations. What was the catalyst to start it? What will be the catalyst to end it? You think the catalyst, and correct me if I'm wrong, was the Brendan Lemieux hit on Jake Gensel, correct? Yeah, he, yeah, and I can get into detail on it, but yeah, that's I think what started this whole thing. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it wasn't that. Because mm-hmm. that happened, the Penguins go out, they win the rest of that game. They played really well in the third period against the LA Kings. They went out. Wasn't pretty to start. They won the game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. They went out. They got off to a, a good start. They got out to a lead against the Edmonton Oilers. And then, Jeff Petrie makes contact with Connor McDavid. Folds him up against the Penguins post behind Tristan Jari. Doesn't look good for McDavid. But that woke up Evander Kane. That woke up M- Connor McDavid. That woke up Leon Draisaitl, And from that point on, the Penguins have not won a single game. They've gotten to overtime once, they've blown multiple multi-goal leads, they outperformed the Kraken in game, the second game, and then they lost. I think the catalyst was uh, was not Evgeny Malkin, was uh, Jeff Petrie almost injuring Connor McDavid and making it look like he broke his back, because from that literal moment on, it got bad. But it doesn't matter either way, whether it's Lemieux, whether it's McDavid, it doesn't matter either way what started it. What is going to be the catalyst to end this? We thought it might be Sidney Crosby finally getting his 900th assist because that was also something that hadn't happened during that losing streak. He got his 900th assist. I thought, okay, it's different. That's going to be the catalyst. I was thinking with your mentality, it wasn't it. Somebody else needs to get hot in my opinion, but what do you think is going to be the catalyst? So here's
0: the other thing too about the catalyst is we're not going to know it right away. It's going to happen, but we're not going to realize it right away. We're going to be talking about it maybe a game or two later. When mm-hmm. we're on a, a three-game heater and we look at maybe it was the comeback goal. Maybe it was the power play goal. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it was like the second power play goal of a game when uh, we were down 2 nothing or something. Who knows? We're not going to notice it right away. But I bet it has something to do... I am going to say it's something from the bottom six. Stepping their game up and turning that ship around. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah maybe it's a maybe it's just an easy uh maybe it's like a goal ass- with by one of the forwards assisted by the other two like the whole line gets a point guys we're back on track let's roll it along the defense still has to step up also the uh what in this entire losing streak also no goals from the blue line Let's not forget that. I know defense isn't supposed to score that much, but maybe once and every once in a while would be nice,
1: especially when you brought in Jeff Petrie. The Penguins defense that. is. Like, I'll, just just to interject really quickly, the Penguins mm-hmm. defense is supposed to score goals. That's the way they play the game. Yeah. So, yeah. although just conventional knowledge is your forwards need to be the ones to put the puck in the net, the Penguins play the way. The way Reardon deploys that defense, they're supposed to score goals. They're supposed to collect assists. They're supposed to drive play, and they're not. Exactly. Crystal Tang is supposed to
0: score goals every, yeah. every so often. Jeff Petra, you brought him in. I can keep bringing up a Sully quote that he said. We brought him in because he can. he's a good uh, power play guy, can shoot the puck. Do it. Um, Jan Ruda scored twice. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Pio Joseph, he keeps getting opportunities. He loves flying down that left wing. He looks like Phil Kessel sometimes. Just flying down that wing and just rifling it. Does it connect? No, but he looks quick getting down there. Mm-hmm. Um He's, again, he's not supposed to score but opportunities it's mm-hmm. opening things up so i think a catalyst watch out for the next bottom six forward goal and see where things go from there yeah so that's gonna be a momentum booster especially if it's kapanen who by the way
1: will get the entire for the entire four by six man the entire yeah. four by six we'll get to captain a little later in the show obviously the pens poll did not go well for kasperi captain last week as not much has over the past uh for the past season and whatever we've started 10, 12, 13% of this season. Uh, But in my opinion, I agree uh, that it's going to be the bottom six. It has to be the bottom six because we talked early in this show, Sidney Crosby, there's nothing wrong with him. Evgeny Malkin, he was the best player on the ice for most of the time against the Sabres. It's not the top six, man. It isn't. It is the bottom six. So what I think could be the catalyst is when you get Jeff Carter and Teddy Bluger back. Not just because they're going to be the catalyst. But because I think that'll bring something to the bottom six, and I think it'll start the bottom six, which in turn will be the catalyst for the ending of the losing streak and hopefully the start of a hot streak because they're not going to be able to just go 50-50 tit for tat for the next two months to dig out of this hole. They're going to have to get onto a winning streak uh, to regain their footing in, in the standings. But. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to talk about Drew O'Connor. He was sent to Wilkes-Barre. We'll talk about that. We'll break down Penn's caps. And then a little bit later, we have our weekly Penn's poll. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. We had a long conversation there, a half-an-hour conversation on the Penguins' seven-game losing streak, their loss to the Seattle Kraken. So let's look at what we've got for current news. Let's look at what we've got for Penn's Caps. And let's try to forget about the fact that the Penguins have lost seven games in a row, although that's a a tough task uh, to come to. But Drew O'Connor on Sunday was sent down to Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Uh, basically signaling that somebody is likely to come back against the Caps later on this week. Jeff Carter is the most likely answer. He is day-to-day with a lower body injury, but has been progressing as the past week has gone along. Teddy Bluger is eligible to return from LTIR with an upper body injury, but he said on Sunday that he is not ready to play yet. He also mentioned to Rob Rossi uh, of The Athletic that it's getting very frustrating, which understandably so, It's, it's give some, take some. Uh, for Teddy Bluger in his current injury status. So hopefully he can return sooner rather than later. But to me, that means that Jeff Carter's probably going to come back. I didn't hate what I saw from Drew O'Connor in his first stint this season. Only played in three games, didn't register a point, but he did have four shots on goal and eight hits, and he he played to make a difference in his small sample size on the ice. Like, you noticed Drew O'Connor. He also helped out on the penalty kill a little bit. Uh, but he controlled 55.26% of the shot attempts while on the ice at five on five, 51% of the expected goals for, and he outchanced opponents 10 to 8. So, as far as an injury replacement guy, I didn't hate what I saw from Drew O'Connor.
0: No, it <clears throat> wasn't terrible. I do look at the numbers from the Seattle game with him, though. You mentioned him, uh, what's it called? Being a uh, penalty killer. He didn't see the ice for a single. Second outside of 5-on-5 play in Seattle, against Seattle. four thirty six shifts, all of them coming at even strength. Um, that's, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Yeah, so they sheltered him in that Seattle game. <clears throat> I don't have, I don't remember the numbers off the top from the two games prior, but um, they, hmm, I don't
1: know. I don't know what they think of him anymore. It's hard to say. I know that they initially sent him back down last season because they wanted him to work on killing penalties because that's where they see him at his full potential as a penalty-killing bottom six guy. Uh, He doesn't really bring the scoring threat as much as I I think they expected of him, but I do like the fact that he shoots the puck. He plays physical on the forecheck. He plays physical on the backcheck. I know he made a couple of bad mistakes in this go-around, a couple of really egregious turnovers. One led to a big goal allowed against the Boston Bruins, but... I think he's a really good injury replacement uh and I think at this point he's he's earned the right to be either the first or second call up alongside Sam Poulin who was left at the NHL level
0: yeah um I do I want him to be playing though like in the AHL if he needs to I want to see him getting ice time somewhere it's I'm not saying we're close to uh Shane writing this guy (laughs) speaking of Seattle but um I don't like when he's healthy scratched. That's just me. And I get though what I get. It's what you have to do in this situation, uh, because he will still get playing time in the NHL. Um, it was just kind of a co- weird couple of games that where he was healthy scratched, but. Mm-hmm. So be it. That's just my opinion. I'm nitpicking with Sam Poole, and I'm sure he'll be right back down to the AHL the second Teddy Bluger's back or Jeff Carter or vice versa, whichever one's coming back first.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I believe fact, it he was, has to
0: go down with Bluger, yeah, actually.
1: Yeah, I believe that it's probably Carter first. And the reason that Poulin was probably the one that was kept up is because they don't foresee Bluger being out that much longer. I think if it was going to be an extended time for Bluger to be missing again, I think they would send Poulin down to say, okay, let's get him some playing time because if Carter gets in the lineup, You know, Poulin will still be in there, but where is he going to be playing? How much time is he going to really get? How much good ice time and good practice is he really going to get at the NHL level once Carter returns and and, and once he goes to a different area? But with that in mind, let's, let's take a look at the Penguins versus the Capitals. Coming up on Wednesday, the first time these two teams will meet this season. Last year, not great for the Penguins against the Washington Capitals. One, two, and one record, but... On the bright side, the Capitals are also struggling this year with a 5-6-2 record. They're at 6th place in the Metropolitan Division. The only difference being, they have way more injuries than the Pittsburgh Penguins are dealing with right now. Nick Backstrom is out, probably for a long time. TJ Oshie was put on LTIR. Connor Brown tore his ACL. He'll be out for 6-8 to months. Carl Hagelin is missing. Tom Wilson is still going to be out for a couple more weeks at least. And then John Carlson has been injured for the past week, but he is skating and could be back in that game against the Penguins.
0: Take advantage, boys. Take full advantage. This isn't the same team. All those names you just listed are killers. Mm-hmm. TJ OG always seems to find the back of the net against us. Carl Haglin isn't the same player, but he's still effective. Um, who are we missing here? Connor Brown's a good player. Nick Backstrom is, I mean, who knows if we ever see him again. The same way, at least. And Tom Wilson needs no introduction with this fan base. Mm. Take advantage. Put two guys on Ovechkin and take advantage. I get that Ovechkin is still there. That man's a damn horse. But uh, <clears throat> there's great opportunity to make this the turnaround again. You get a big win against a rival in there in, in <clears throat> visiting. Excuse me. In Washington, mm-hmm. there you want to talk about catalyst. Sometimes the catalyst is a full game. It's not just one moment. It is a blowout victory maybe over a certain team, or it is an overtime victory. Maybe it's a whole game. Sometimes you've got to make it a win
1: against a rival, and this is a big opportunity for it. Uh, how's Darcy Kemper been doing in net for them? Darcy Kemper in year one with them, his record isn't great, but again, who's he playing behind? Look at all those injuries. He has a four-five-and-one record this year, but a nine-nineteen save percentage, a two forty-two goals allowed average, and four point one goals saved above expected. So he's starting to look a little bit more like Arizona Kemper versus Colorado Kemper. At
0: nine-nineteen, after coming off of it. I don't, a, a procedure to fix your vision as a goalie though. Hey, you know what? Suddenly it, that looks good. That's working.
1: Yeah, and his backup has been playing really well uh too. Charlie Lindgren has a 919 save percentage as well. Uh 3.03 goals allowed average in just 3 games played. So, the goaltending has been uh, pretty steady for the Washington Capitals, something that we haven't been able to say in, in years past since Braden Holtby left them after was it 2018 or 2019, whichever year that he departed to go to uh Vancouver. But Kemper's been good. He's not going to be an easy guy to beat. At this point, for the Pittsburgh Penguins, it doesn't matter who's in net. You got shelled, uh, sorry, goalied by Martin Jones twice in in this losing streak. You lost to Spencer Martin. I don't care who's in net. It's more so about the Pittsburgh Penguins than it is about who's across the ice from them at this point. And now I want to say this. Because you mentioned, you know, this could be the catalyst this whole game. I think this is the perfect time for them to go up against the Washington Capitals. It could either be the perfect time or the worst time, but I think it could be the perfect time because what do we always see when it's Penn's caps? doesn't matter where either team is. It's basically like Penn's flyers. doesn't matter where either team is at in their trajectory or their, their contending status. Both teams get up for this game. They step it up. They're always up for the challenge. It's always a close game. It's always tight checking. The only time that I can remember that it wasn't was the first time they visited Cap 1 last year which was a 7 to 1 shellacking. That was Crosby's first game off of the COVID list. So other than that, you usually see these two teams play close games, play highly contested games. It gets interesting. Watch out for Connor Sherry, he loves playing against the Penguins now. But this could be the thing that turns them around. We talked late last segment about what could be the catalyst. A win in Washington? that could do it that could do it that could do it sorry i thought you
0: had more to say <clears throat> um just a win like i said it could be the whole game you know you then you could pick that one moment from the game and say that's the one sure uh sometimes it is just going to be the entire game though and if you're able to put the stuff on a also struggling washington capitals team it uh could be the big turnaround the big victory against the rival in their in their town in their arena um especially before you got two more road games and back-to-back nights just a few days later mm-hmm. there's a lot that could be done there i'm excited to see what this team can do get up for a rivalry game and it's the first big rivalry game of the season columbus is there but ah, man man it, it's That's a rivalry every, everyone on both those fan bases want to happen, but something's something's got to give first. It just hasn't come around.
1: Columbus isn't a rival. They just, they just aren't. I can't say that. They're a divisional opponent, in which case that makes them a rival. But the Penguins' four rivals as of right now is Washington, Philly, the Islanders, and the Rangers. Those are their rivals at this moment in time. Yes, New Jersey, they always play tough. Yes, the Columbus Blue Jackets, it always is a tough game. It's more big brother, little brother in that situation. But – Other than that, it's those four teams. But to specifically talk about Washington again, this could be it. And you said maybe then you go back and you look. No, because guess what? There's been moments in the last couple of games. Sidney Crosby scoring right off the jump against the Boston Bruins. Jason Zucker's big goal. Uh, Jake Gensel scoring 15 seconds or 8 seconds into the third period against Buffalo. They're having the moments, but when you can't finish... The win is the moment. A game-winning goal is the catalyst against the Washington Capitals. Will they be able to get it? Only time will tell. But that would be the catalyst, I believe, if they're able to get that win in Washington, no matter how undermanned they are. A win in Washington is a win in Washington because guess who's still out on the ice? Alex Ovechkin. He's the biggest threat on the Capitals. He's still one of the biggest threats in the National Hockey League. Seven goals, 11 points, and 13 games played. And that's a slow start for Ovi. Uh, Dylan Strom is, the, is number two on their their team with nine points, two of them being goals. But it's all about Alex Ovechkin. And if you can go in there, beat Ovi in cap one, get that game-winning goal, doesn't matter who it is, if it's the bottom six, it's even better. But if it's still a Sidney Crosby, of Genny Malkin, Jake Gensel goal, whatever. Get that game-winning goal, let that be the catalyst. And let and let it ride. Roll with it. So we're going to take another quick break and then we're going to finish this show off with our weekly pens poll welcome back to the tip of the iceberg podcast brought to you as always by inside The penguins.com. The one thing we did forget to do, Horwath, so let's do it really quickly here. We forgot to do it last Thursday as well. Uh, our Pens predictions. We both predicted a win on Saturday. That didn't go well. So what is your prediction for Pens caps on Wednesday before I forget again? Uh, before you forget again, quick prediction, I guess will have to be another. I, I keep
0: wanting to predict a victory and it has to come around eventually, right? It has to. Because these streaks don't last forever and I don't see us going 18. Um
1: Oh man, <clears throat> how does a quick four to two victory sound to you? Uh sounds unrealistic. That's 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 how it sounds to me. Uh, I'm gonna predict a loss for the Pittsburgh Penguins five to four uh, to the Washington Capitals. Listen, it, we've gotten to the point where I've said so many times it can't keep going, can it? And I've been proven wrong. It can keep going and uh, even though it is an undermanned team, I just I don't see it happening. To the Washington Capitals on Wednesday. So, with that, let's move over to our weekly Pens poll. Of course, our poll this week was which Penguins bottom six forward is most on the hot seat. Now, with that, Kasperi Kapanen did end up winning this poll. He got 36% of the vote. Josh Archibald actually got 32% of the vote, despite scoring two goals last week. And then also Brock McGinn gets 18%. Jeff Carter gets 14%, but like we, I mentioned at the top, Kasperi Kapanen, 36% of the vote. He's most on the hot seat, according to Penguins fans. Horawat, what say you? Um, <clears throat> You know, that Josh Archibald thing, he's the only bottom six forward
0: to score so far <clears throat> in the last few games. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to say Kapanen, man. I know we signed for that deal, and we have confidence in him, but just he's got to find that level or else he's just not fit for this team. He's got to find something to do. He's got to find a way to succeed and find the back of the net. There's no other way to it. He needs to produce.
1: Well, Kasperi Kapanen, Josh Yowie put in his post-game piece against the Buffalo Sabres that Kapanen had only scored three goals in his last 50 games played with the Pittsburgh Penguins, dating back to last season, of course. That is – well, now it's three goals in 51 games. Uh, That is not – Enough. Clearly, easily, simply put, it is not enough from Kasperi Kappen. A guy that was acquired for a first-round pick, let's not forget. And then let's not forget even more, a guy that was given a two-year contract at $3.2 million. He's playing less than NHL level at this point. Because he's not good on the defensive zone at this point. He's not producing anything offensively. You talked about it earlier, you mentioned it. He missed the entire open net on Saturday against the Kraken, which would have been a catalyst in its own right, Captain bearing an open net goal, but the fact that he's only scored three goals in his last fifty-one games played entirely, thanks again to Josh Yowie for that that little tidbit that that's why he's at thirty-six percent. I'm surprised that it was as close as it was between him and Archibald, but I guess the poll started before Archibald scored two goals in two games. So, and people
0: still look at Archibald as just um, what a. Uh call-up minor league player that's just the way we i think a lot of fans foresee him as a member of this team it's not not pretty for him he he's got a lot of growing to do as a player for uh, fans to come around to him i guess i mean he's damn near he's leading the team in hits that's a start he's got the only two bottom six goals on this team for the last seven games it's another good start um but it's just the way I think people uh, portray him on this team. He's just, he has to build out of it.
1: Now, Josh Archibald missed Saturday's game due to illness. Something going around the Penguins locker room. Uh, Jake Gensel caught it. Chris Letang missed a game last week because of it.
0: Ryan Paling yesterday. Ryan, me the other day.
1: Ryan Paling yesterday. I don't know how – I guess you, you also got it. So Me uh, and Jake were sick on the same day. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. That's, that's one thing you guys have in common. But, uh, no, with Josh Archibald – He's gonna be ready to go against the the Washington Capitals. It seems like a twenty four hour virus or whatever it is. If the Penguins are all healthy, I'm not so sure. Again, the loyalty might be there, like we talked about with Dumoulin. I'm not so sure that Josh Archibald shouldn't start over Kasperi Kapanen. That's also just a hard jump. That's I mean, a I, rough jump. I wouldn't put him. I wouldn't put him on the third line obviously Josh Archibald is a fourth liner Mm -hmm. and he's been a picture perfect fourth liner to this point in the season. You know, people can say what they want about him. He's, he's gone out there. He's leading the team in hits. As you mentioned, he has three goals. He has just as many goals in 12, 11 games this year as Kasperi Kapanen has in his last 51 as the Penguins, uh, as a member of the Penguins. So listen, I don't want to hear it about Josh Archibald. You can say what you want. Maybe he's blocking younger talent, but for the role that he's playing in right now, he's doing perfectly fine. Nothing against the job. guy. Somebody that isn't is is Brock McGinn. Uh, for Jeff Carter, by the way, well, I'll, I'm just going to say this really quickly because I don't have much else to say on Carter. The injuries worry me at the age of 38. The fact that he's less than 20% in the season, he's had an upper body injury, he's had a lower body injury. They worry me a little bit, but the bottom six needs guys with finishing ability. And for all of his lack of whatever... Right now, he does have some finishing ability and the bottom six needs it. So that's all I'll say on Carter. But Brock McGinn getting bumped to the second line, I don't understand that. I really don't. I get that you're trying to spread the wealth. You're trying to, you know, galvanize that bottom six. Demoting Jason Zucker was not the way to do that. Um, I don't know what way there is to do that other than getting guys healthy. But moving Zucker down and bumping McGinn up, I mean, McGinn didn't play horribly with Malkin. But... It just doesn't seem like the right move to make.
0: No. No, there are just some moves that don't, like, on paper that just don't make sense, i.e., Archibald in over cap And whereas, like, the reasoning is there. You get it. But it just, on paper, you look at it and go, that just shouldn't work. It the shouldn't.
1: On, on paper, your guy making $3.2 million should never be the healthy scratch. But you know, exactly. on, on, pa- on paper, he shouldn't have gotten $3.2 million, though. Well, that's we, the it, problem. Oh, yeah, we
0: know. Uh, also, that's like the on-paper reasoning is a big reason why you have to look at why Dumoulin's still playing on the first line too you want to put that much money on the third line best of luck there's a lot of on-paper moves as to, there's a lot of on-paper reasons for this team that we don't even need to discuss but like there is a weird thing it is a weird thing seeing McGann playing with Malkin yikes man what where have we gone
1: yeah, the the worst part is McGinn playing on a line with Malkin when there's no injuries to your top six, and that's just that's how bad the bottom six has been. Just l- let me say that again: the bottom six has been so bad. The Penguins have had bad bottom sixes before, but the Penguins' bottom six has been so bad that to try to do anything to get anything from them, they put Brock McGinn on the second line as a result. That's so bad. That is the, I incomprehensible. I would have never thought that with a fully healthy top six that we would ever see Brock begin actually in there. Um, But here we are. I think it all rolls back, though, to Kapanen. Um, There's a reason he won this poll. Again, I thought it was a little too close uh, for what Josh Archibald has showed this point in the season. And, you know, it might just be because he's scored goals in back-to-back games that he's played. It might be because Bob Airy uh, goes to bat for him every single time he's out there or even not out there. You saw that on Saturday night, but... You know, Josh Archibald has done his job to this point because Barry Kapanen is not. So I obviously think they need more from Kapanen and he's on the hot seat. I just don't know where, where they go with him because I don't think anybody's going to take him unless you pay a, a tax, meaning a really high draft pick. And I just, I don't know what the answer is to that question. I wish I did. I wish I could offer something up, but it just seems that Kapanen needs to figure it out. And I just don't know if he's going to be able to do that. I thought he did early in the season, scored that goal in the opener and, since then, it's just been downhill from there. Yep. Yep. Not, there's nothing left to say, Horwat. No, there's not. Figure it out. That's that's the this, last thing you can say. Figure something out cuz 7 games is more than enough.
0: We're not allowed to have fun
1: until we win. I well, see, I don't think that. I don't. I don't get that. I no. mean, people are people are just miserable. Oh, they smiled during practice on a losing streak. They're getting paid millions of dollars to play a children's game. I don't. I know it's. They're not happy. I mean, go 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 to our YouTube channel. Look at Sidney Crosby's expression. Look at Brian Russ's expression after that game. They're not happy about it, but it doesn't mean they're gonna sit there and get right. clinically depressed and and their entire lives be ruined. Like, should have canceled the Halloween party on Sunday night. Why are you partying when you've lo- because they're humans and when you have a bad day at work when you have a bad stretch at work do you do you just stop everything else no do something be a human that's what they are they're gonna keep yeah go ahead
0: they're gonna keep their practices upbeat they're gonna keep themselves upbeat because they have to they lose they lose faith in themselves they lose faith in their game um put it this way their last practice they did work on things they did a couple drills they did that power play work that i was telling you about the uh playing with no defense just trying to get them to shoot it and then they did shootout drills that was the rest of the practice they just did shoot that was it they just did shootouts then we haven't even had a shootout game yet this year it was a big downfall of ours last year and it wasn't even drills it was just comp competitions there were push-ups on the line man it was they were just having fun they're trying to keep themselves upbeat because again if you do get down on yourself then you start to lose you know the love for the game look at who was it that said that about Buffalo? Was it Ryan O'Reilly? Yeah. He mm-hmm. said he lost his love for the game in Buffalo. Well, guess what? He left, went to St. Louis, and won a cup. Let's take out the part of leaving and just yeah. maintain that love of the game.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's going to be so much harder if these guys are just walking around and moping around about a seven-game losing streak. It's so much harder to turn things around. you got to keep the morale high and – and that's what the Pittsburgh Penguins have tried to do. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. We're going to be joined by a special guest on Thursday, Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. Good friend of the show. He'll be joining us for Thursday's episode to talk more about the Pittsburgh Penguins. Got to ask him about Brian Dumoulin after that crazy piece that he put out uh, last week. Really good piece. Go check that out at The Athletic. But we'll be joined by him on the next episode. Hopefully, we'll talk about a win against the, the Washington Capitals. If not, history will keep getting worse for the pittsburgh penguins we will see you guys then have a great week pens fans